This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing the Godfather at chabacasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply. Welcome back to episode 18 of the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined by Matt Collins of BP Boston and Over the Monster. Matt, how's it going? Uh, it's going pretty well now that the deadline craziness is over. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I, I kind of thought we'd have a little bit more uh, interesting stuff to talk about uh, Red Sox-wise uh, after the deadline, but, you know, that I guess uh, Dave got it out of his system a little bit early, so... Um, Nothing, nothing too crazy to report on so far, but nonetheless, we'll touch on all the ramifications of, you know, everything because there were a ton of moves, even though the Red Sox weren't involved in a lot of them. Yeah, it was, um, it was kind of a fun day to be on Twitter. There was a lot of, especially right at the end, everything kind of happened between three forty-five and four o'clock Eastern time. So, even though the Red Sox weren't involved, it was still pretty fun. Yeah, it seemed like there was a, a huge flurry of activity there. I was actually working at the time, so I couldn't tune into Twitter, but every once in a while I'd sneak away to go to the bathroom or something like that, and I'd pop my phone open, and boom, there'd be just amazing new news to read. So that was pretty cool. Um, for everybody out there who hasn't been listening to the podcast, uh, Matt Collins is a regular on here. Uh, every few weeks he joins us. You can follow him on Twitter at, at Red Sox Thoughts, but... Let's get into the meat of this whole thing. So, uh, trade deadline, the Red Sox pretty much stood pat. The only one move that they did make uh, today was acquiring Fernando Abad from the Twins. Uh, they did so uh, by shipping out Pat Light, a uh, flamethrowing righty in the Red Sox system, who was in AAA and 
you know, had some impressive stuff, but really couldn't hit the broad side of a barn uh, frequently uh, with his control. So, um, first of all, what does a bod bring to the team? And what's the subtraction of Pat Light look look uh, look like going forward for the Red Sox? Um, so a bod kind of just gives them a little more reliable version of Tommy Lane. Um, they've been missing that left-handed stopper uh, really since Andrew Miller left, and um, so a bod brings that. The only problem is that you really need to limit him to almost exclusively left-handed hitters. And John Farrell, um, for as much as I try to defend him, he's not the best at managing bullpens. So, I mean, we've seen Tommy Lane face way too many righties uh, when he was here. Um, so if Abad can be limited to just that left-handed role, um, he should be a big help. If they try and do anything more with him, then I don't really see... Um, him being that big of an impact, he might even be a negative. So I think it really comes down to John Farrell as far as Abad goes. And what about the price? I mean, are you okay with giving up a guy like Pat Light? I, I know that coming into the season and even early on when he did get a few looks up up uh, with the big club, a lot of people were pretty enticed by that stuff and thought that he could be a pretty quality back-end option eventually. Was it Was it too much to give up for a guy like this? No, um, I mean, Pat Light is exciting, and I was definitely excited about him coming into the year, but he didn't really take that step forward this year that you're hoping for. That's not to say that he can't do it down the road, but, I mean, at this point, he's probably uh, maybe a mid a middle reliever at best, so, I mean, unless he gets that control figured out, he's not going to be that back-end guy we were hoping for, despite the... Um, high 90s fastball so it's a risk he might be somebody who could uh, play a big role in a bullpen down the road but uh, he's not really somebody that you let get in the way of a major league player that could help you right now when you're in the middle of a playoff race so how does this whole thing shake out with the roster then so we've got Craig Kimbrell being activated tonight uh, as as we record this we're recording this about an hour and 15 minutes or so before the game actually starts. Um, he's going to be there. Ziegler, Barnes, obviously. Abad, who we just mentioned. Ross, um, Tazawa. Uh, Clay Buckholtz, who's still on the roster. We'll talk about him in a few minutes. But it does seem like Tommy Lane is the one who has to go uh, for this move to actually uh, work and for him to fit on the roster. Is is that what your sense is as well? Yeah, Um so, yeah, Joe Kelly got option today for Kimbrell, and um, Abad's not joining the roster until tomorrow, so that gives them a day, but um, I would assume Tommy Lane's going to be designated for assignment um, after tonight's game. He's out of options, so um, we'll see if he gets claimed or not. I really don't have a good feel for whether or not that's going to happen because, I mean, as boring as he is, he's a decent pitcher, so I wouldn't be shocked if somebody claimed him, but um, he's definitely the guy to go. Yeah, I have a feeling he's going to be gone uh, tomorrow. There's just too many teams in need of relief help. And even though I have harped on Tommy Lane's ineffectiveness a lot on this show and, um, you know, he, he wasn't used very much, 
Um, he still wasn't completely horrible, and he had pretty equal splits against lefties and righties this year as well, um, which is obviously not something you want to see from your lefty specialist, but nonetheless somebody who could eat innings and help out a little bit for a bunch of different baseball clubs going forward. So, yeah, probably a good bet that he's gone. Um, so, you know, the Red Sox were talked about in a few larger moves here um, leading up to the trade deadline. A few days ago, um, they were mentioned as part of the um, Jonathan Lucroy sweepstakes. Um, you know, there were some thoughts on that, and Dave Cameron had written that piece on it a while back for Fangraphs as well. Uh, that never ended up amounting to anything. And then uh, most recently, they were in talks with uh, the White Sox about Chris Sale and were reportedly one of the most serious, if not the most serious, suitor uh, for Sale. Um, so I wanted to get your thought as to why that move didn't get done. I know we were talking today a little bit on Twitter and um, you know trying to figure out some packages, and I know that a lot of people on Twitter were trying to do so. And I, I really believed that they had the pieces – uh, that they needed to get this deal done if they wanted to. Um, so I guess I'm a little bit surprised that dealer Dave didn't, didn't get it finished. Yeah. So, um, first of all, I don't know, this happened, um, literally right before we started talking. So I don't know if you saw it on Twitter, but uh, apparently Dombrowski said that the reports were overblown and that they hadn't actually talked to the White Sox since Friday. So who knows how close they really were, but, um, either way, I think that the White Sox were holding out for a monster package, and I think they were right to do so. Chris Sale is one of the best pitchers in the game, and he's under control through 2019, so they didn't have to make a deal right now. I think they were totally willing to do it if the Red Sox were going to give up Mankata and Benintendi, but that was never going to happen, so um, I'm not sure it was ever as close as it, we were being led to believe and. I'm glad the Red Sox didn't give up that package. So if they had given up a package like that for both of those guys, do you think it would have been just a, a crippling blow to the franchise's farm system? I mean, obviously taking your two top prospects off the table, but in gaining a guy like Chris Sale, would that have been worth it to you? No, and just because I'm not really concerned about blowing up the farm system as much as um, these are guys that, could help this year and should help next year. So, I mean, we're not talking about like an Anderson Espinosa who has all the talent in the world, but he's still got a few years where anything can happen. Um, Benintendi, I expect to be up um, within the next few weeks, and Mancata probably won't be up this year, but even next year, um, at some point, he's going to be the starting third baseman. So, these guys have clear roles in the near future, and um, they have the upside to be real difference makers. And I know Chris Sale is amazing, but I don't think that the Red Sox need him that badly, especially in this weird American League, which I know we're going to get into later. Yeah, you know, I'm happy they didn't make the move either. And I agree with you on both of those fronts, too, that the fit was uh, is certainly there with Boston. There's a natural fit for both of these guys. But um, for me, I think... There was a little bit more mistrust of uh, adding another lefty to Fenway and uh, paying that type of a price for a guy like Chris Sale. Um, just because, I guess, for Chris Sale's whole career, I've sort of worried about his durability. And when you do go back and you look at 
uh, innings pitched for Chris Sale. Um, they've been pretty good recently. Uh, I don't have them up in front of me right now, but I think there's only been a couple times that Chris Sale has broken the 200 innings pitched um, threshold. And I just I, I didn't feel great about the idea of putting all your chips in for a guy like that who I think there's a high likelihood that you know could break down in the future. And I know you can't bet on injuries, so it might be a little bit of an unfair thing to say, but I do like the idea of keeping the young potential superstar um, position prospects uh, rather than mortgaging them for for another left-handed pitcher. And I think that Dave Dombrowski kind of already made um, his pitching move when he did go out and sign Pomerantz. Uh, we already do have Price on the roster as well, and Eduardo Rodriguez is a really talented young lefty. And uh, lefties don't always have the easiest time in Fenway either. So while Chris Sale is an excellent pitcher, and I don't mean to take anything away from him, I just really felt pretty strongly that the Red Sox, um, you know, really needed those guys more than they needed Chris Sale in the long term. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. Um, I think especially because they have Price, and uh, I said this earlier today on Twitter, but I am, I don't have, like, a solid factual numbers-based argument to back this up, but I'm... I really think that David Price is about to go on an incredible run to finish the season. And, I mean, the peripherals have backed up that he's been much better than the results all season. And I don't totally buy into the peripherals. There were definitely some issues there, but he's just too good not to. So I think they are finally going to get that ace. Um, I think Pomerantz is going to be better than he's been for first few few starts. And then you have Priscilla, who's been just like the definition of solid right there, and then Stephen Wright, who hopefully can keep up um, something reasonably close to what he's been most of the year, and Eduardo Rodriguez. I think that's a solid rotation. I don't think it's going to blow anybody away. It's not one of the best rotations of baseball, but I think that's good enough for a playoff team with arguably the best lineup in baseball. Yeah, I agree with you on a lot of those things. Um, I am a little bit more worried about price than some people are. We talked about this at length on the show um, last week about some of his struggles. And one of the most uh, striking things was his hard hit rate being higher than it's really ever been. Um, But then, you know, I was reading some articles. There was a a good one on Baseball Prospectus um, about his first 21 starts this year as well. And it went into talking about his DRA and his CFIP for the year and how those have been much closer to his career numbers than um, than what his ERA has sort of shown us so far. Um, but I wanted to get your take on, on Price a little bit in terms of those struggles because it does seem like the home run rate and the hard hit rate are a little alarming, even though some of these other peripherals really do like him for a bounce back. So what in particular, aside from just the raw numbers, makes you confident that that turnaround is going to happen? Um, I think it's mostly just the track record, and it's it's kind of stuff that's hard to articulate. He's been around so long, and he's been good for so long that I think that the hard hit uh, rate and the home run issues, those are real problems. He's been leaving balls up in the zone and um, grooving a lot of pitches, but 
I think that that hopefully can be solved with some sort of small mechanical tweak, and I'm fairly confident that David Price is the kind of guy who can figure that out and um, just bear down and go on a run where he has like a 1-5 ERA for a 10-start stretch. And he kind of started it in his last start against the Angels, eight shutout innings with six strikeouts and one walk. So um, we'll see how he does against uh, a little bit tougher lineups and harder parks, but I think that's a really good start. And he has another start where he can kind of continue that run in Seattle. So I just think that he is the kind of veteran pitcher who is too good to keep pitching like this all year. Yeah, he certainly was magnificent last time out. I mean, I I wonder how that's going to translate, considering it was a really weak Angels lineup, aside from Mike Trout and uh, Albert Pujols, who crushes pitchers who throw slow breaking stuff. But um, yeah, I don't know. I I I think he certainly has that ability. And if we're going to compare a guy like David Price to a guy like Chris Sale, uh, the funny thing is when you look into some of their more advanced peripherals here. David Price actually does per, uh, does uh, look favorable to uh, Chris Sale in a few different categories. Um, when I was doing some research on Chris Sale when all the rumors were circulating, a few of the things that worried me, aside from that innings pitch things that I've mentioned, and he has crossed that threshold two times, 214 in, two, in 2013 and 208 in 2015. Um, but this year, uh, he's got his career worst. FIP of 369 right now, um, and he's he's got some pretty decently sized uh, home run to fly ball uh, percentages as well, and his K minus walk rate uh, is not where it's been in the past either for Chris Sale. So um, for a guy who's always always had these durability concerns, I just wasn't all that interested in giving up a guy like Moncada for somebody like him and. I, I think it is kind of funny that those peripherals for, for Price actually do match up there. Um, well, so the thing about Chris Sale's strikeout uh, numbers is um, it's sort of a deliberate strategy by him. At least he talked about it earlier in the year. He was pitching to contact more. Um, whether or not that's a good idea is a different discussion, but um, I think he was just trying to limit his pitch count and kind of um, – limit the stress on his arm, so he was taking stuff off and trying to get some weak contact, and it's showing up. I mean, he's still got a 3.17 ERA. Um, he's got a career low BAP allowed, so it is working a little bit. I'm not sure how sustainable that is, but um, I think he still does have the ability to strike batters out if he wants to. Um, I think price versus sale is pretty close. Um, I would honestly, in a vacuum, I'd probably prefer sale, but... Um, Again, when you start factoring in Mikata and Benintendi and the pack you would take to get him, it's a different discussion. Yeah, definitely. It's it it certainly is interesting, and they're no doubt going to be two of the best lefties in the American League. Granted, uh, as as long as um, David Price can get this whole thing figured out, so um, interesting stuff there. Um, glad the move didn't happen though. So. Uh, and now we have all the bullets we need to go out and get uh, Jose Fernandez when he becomes available <laughs> at some point in the future, which is what I've been hoping for all along because I, I crave that power righty in the Red Sox rotation. And getting to see Fernandez in person uh, at Fenway would be amazing. That would be uh, the best thing we've had since Pedro Martinez. So I'll keep dreaming on that. All right. 
um, so one of the things I was surprised about coming into the today was that Buckholtz wasn't moved. Um, one of the reasons why I'm surprised is just because his role has seemed kind of a little bit underutilized. I know that we, last time we talked on the podcast, we talked about how he was going to be used, and really the answer was in long relief. And we saw that um, just a, a couple days ago when he went out and had three innings pitched and pitched fairly well. But I just thought that the Red Sox would get an offer from a team um, that was interesting enough that they would be able to pull the trigger. Um, because Buckholz, I, I think still has something in the tank and probably could rejuvenate himself in a National League city. Um, the Marlins did check in on him reportedly and said that the price was too high. Um, are you surprised at all that he wasn't moved, or did you kind of anticipate this? Um, so at first I really definitely thought he was going to get traded. Um, but the more I thought about it, it kind of makes sense that they held on to him just because they don't really have much starting pitching depth right now. We talked about their rotation, and like I said, I think it's fine, but if and when somebody gets hurt, they don't really have anybody to step in if Buckholz isn't there. Um, as sad as it is to say, I'm pretty sure he's their sixth starter right now. It's either him or um, Elias or Owens or Brian Johnson or Joe Kelly. Um, so I think they just wanted to hang on to that depth, and if one of those other guys steps up, maybe they work out an August trade for Buckholz, but... Um, for right now, they need to hedge their bets against an injury because this is going to be a tight race all year. Yeah, I I think that you hit the nail on the head with why he wasn't moved. Um, I guess at this point, I'm I'm still a little surprised that they felt more comfortable with Buckholz in that sixth starter spot, really, in, in waiting and in long relief right now. Uh, than they did with a guy like Henry Owens, who has pitched better as of late. I know Elias hasn't really turned the corner, and Brian Johnson's still figuring things out. But at this point, like, who would you feel better about being in a game for the Red Sox, Clay Buckholz or Henry Owens? Um, probably Buckholz, uh, but I've always been one of the higher guys on Buckholz and one of the lower guys on Owens, so I might be the wrong person to be asking this question. <laughs> No, that's it's fair. I mean, Owens has looked pretty much as bad as possible when he has been up. So, I guess it's not all that surprising there, but uh, just interesting nonetheless. I mean, do you think that he stays on the roster in that long relief role uh, for the remainder of the season, though? Uh, I do. I'm not really sure who else steps up. I mean, unless something happens in August and some slightly better depth option becomes available in a waiver trade, then maybe Buckles finds his way out after that, but um, I don't really know who else there is. I don't... The only other option, I guess, would be Brian Johnson. Um, I haven't really kept a ton of tabs on how he's been since returning from that uh, anxiety issue, so... Yeah, he's maybe been he's pretty started. bad. Yeah, so there goes that option that that's really the only other way I can see it happening. So I think Buckles is probably here for the rest of the season. One thing I wanted to ask you about though, as we talk about that depth is, um, the, the price that Rich Hill went for today. Um, the Dodgers did end up acquiring Rich Hill and Josh Reddick, um, from, uh, the Oakland A's, And all they sent over were three relief prospects really, or, uh, one who's still a starting pitcher or, I guess two who are still kind of dabbling in starting, but 
Grant Holmes, Jarrell Cotton, and Frankie Montas. Um, three guys that are intriguing, but certainly didn't seem like a whole lot of a return for, for Reddick and Rich Hill. Um, you know, Reddick's been a really good outfielder this year, and Rich Hill has pitched amazingly when he's been healthy. Um, it's surprising to me that the Red Sox couldn't have offered anything better for a guy like Rich Hill, who I still think would have made it an incredibly valuable addition, even if he, you know, was only able to pitch like, you know, maybe six starts down the stretch for the Red Sox. If they could have given up a guy like Owens or something like that for him, I think that would have been worth it. So are you surprised at all that they didn't push a little bit harder for a guy like that? Um, well, I think you might be underselling the package a little bit. Um, they might all be relief prospects, but um, there's a good amount of upside there. So, um, I mean, I don't think Owens would really be equivalent to these three. Um, it's a really interesting deal. I don't really know how to feel about Rich Hill. I think, obviously, when he's on the mound, um, he'd be a huge asset for the Red Sox, but we don't know what, when he's going to be back, even now. Um, the Dodgers are hoping that he's going to be back at the end of the week for the Red Sox series, but they still don't know that for sure. Um, so I am kind of interested to know what the A's would have wanted from the Red Sox, but I think um, I think it would have hurt more than just like a Henry Owens. Yeah, I agree with you that it probably would have cost more than him, but I think that my, my larger point here is that Holmes, Cotton, and Montas are a far cry from the original asking price of Espinoza. You know, these guys... Oh, yeah. Do... I mean, I think we always knew that that was going to come down at some point. Yeah, yeah. I think we we definitely did know that. And to, to be fair and not sell these guys short, like all three of the guys that we mentioned that the Dodgers did give up are potential, like, high leverage relievers. It could possibly be extremely elite relievers down the road. So certainly no small price, but when you think about how deep the Red Sox system is and think about maybe them giving up, you know, an Owens or a Sam Travis or a Mauricio Dubon or something like that. Hey, hands off. <laughs> yeah, hands off the Dubon. All right, I'll go with Basabe instead. All right. Um, you know, it seems like that type of a package would be a little bit more comparable in a vacuum and isn't the need almost as high or, or close to as high for the Red Sox to make that acquisition? Yeah. Um, I would probably agree. I kind of wish that they did, um, they did get Hill. I wonder how much Reddick being involved, uh, mattered. Um, I think the A's really wanted to get rid of both and I think they saw an opportunity to do it all in one deal and get three guys that they probably really like. So I don't know if the Red Sox would have been willing to give up whatever extra it took to get Josh Reddick. But, um, if just Rich Hill was on the table, yeah, that probably would have been a huge help. Um, it also would have let them pull off that buckled steal because that would have pushed Rodriguez out of the rotation and given them that extra depth. So, um, I kind of did wish they got that extra starter and Hill was probably the only reasonable one that was available. So, uh, that was a little bit of a bummer. Other surprises, uh, Jeremy Hillickson not being moved. That was a little bit shocking, right? Yeah. Um, everything about Jeremy Hillickson is a little bit shocking. Uh, <laughs> they, they were asking for 
like three or four prospects, which I mean, whatever, ask for whatever you're gonna ask for, but eventually you have to bring that down. And now, I mean, he might get a qualifying offer this off season, and he might not take it. So, I mean, if he doesn't take it, then maybe the Phillies were better off just taking that draft pick and instead of whatever they were being offered into trade. So, I think it's kind of hard to judge that uh, without knowing what happens this winter. You know what's hilarious is Jeremy Hillickson is going to get paid this offseason. Yeah, literally Jeremy Hillickson is yeah. about to get a lot of money. That's uh, That makes me happy that the Red Sox got Pomerantz with a few extra years of control because I really don't want them involved in this free agency. No, it's going to get real ugly before it gets pretty again. Um, so let's, let's dig into the American League a little bit here, and we'll start with the AL East. Um, with, with so many moves today, and we'll go over a lot of them, especially the ones that happened with uh, some of the bigger contending clubs in the American League, I think the landscape is definitely different than it was a few weeks ago when the Red Sox started making moves. Um, and especially considering what the Red Sox schedule looks like, um, I believe uh, Alex Spear said it was tied for the most road games ever to close out a season. Uh, of all time, so it's a uniquely difficult schedule that the Red Sox face here. Um, it's worth noting that you know the balance of power has shifted a little bit uh, in the American League. So, uh, starting with the American League East, um, the Orioles and the um, Toronto Blue Jays were, were certainly very active. Toronto went ahead and added uh, Francisco Liriano, Mike Bolsinger, uh, and Scott Feldman, who are all three guys who can slot right into that rotation they're all Uh, three guys that's that's one way to describe yeah you know they're not they're not great uh liriano's had a tough year bolsinger has been good and bad feldman's been mostly good but you wouldn't describe bolsinger or feldman as guys who are impact rotation guys um they did also get harold ramirez and uh, a guy who prospect people may remember reese reese mcguire um who was a uh, pretty high draft pick for the Pittsburgh Pirates and a well-thought-of uh, catching prospect for a while. Um, and the other interesting thing here with Toronto is that um, this solidifies the fact that they are going to move Aaron Sanchez uh, out of the rotation. They've said that they're going to do that eventually and move him to the bullpen. Um, so these guys will pitch down the stretch for Toronto. Um, I think this makes them a stronger club in a way, but also like Sanchez moving out of the pen or out of the rotation into the pen makes them infinitely weaker than any of these three moves do to strengthen that rotation, right? Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, I think that that Liriano trade was incredible for them, uh, but not so much because he's better than Sanchez, but just because they got two pretty good prospects along just because the Pirates didn't feel like paying Francisco Liriano anymore. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that that's a different discussion. That's kind of a bullshit trade. But, um, yeah, I think that I don't think any of these guys are going to put up the numbers that Sanchez has put up. And I don't know if it's the right decision or not. It's kind of hard to say without knowing Sanchez's medicals and how his arm's feeling and all of that. But, I think just for this year, the rotation is definitely going to get worse whenever he goes to the bullpen. Um, yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say, I don't think, I don't know that Liriano is going to turn it around. I think he has the best chance to be something good in the rotation. Um, Feldman has a nice ERA, but 
nothing really backs that up. And Bolsinger, I think, is just triple-A uh, depth. He kind of replaces Drew Hutchinson, who went... It was Drew Hutchinson, right? Who went? Yep, Drew Hutchinson went back. Yeah. Yep. yeah, so he just replaces him as their triple-A depth. So, I mean, they're fine. They made the moves that they had to make. They weren't really ever in a discussion for somebody like Chris Sale or a top-end guy. So for what they were able to get, uh, they did all right. Yeah, I mean, they they have a pretty depleted farm system as well that they've certainly tapped into significantly over the last few years while getting into contention. Anthony Alford and Connor Green are currently the only guys that are really top 100 names for them at this point. Um, Sanchez moving to the bullpen, though, does strengthen that unit, and I think that Feldman sliding into the back end of that uh, bullpen will be a little helpful to them, but Stroman, Dickey, Estrada, J.A. Happ, and Liriano is certainly not as scary as uh, with Aaron Sanchez in there. But nonetheless, it was uh, interesting to see them active. Um, the Orioles, I think, made uh, slightly more impactful moves um, than Toronto did. Uh, they went out and grabbed um, Wade Miley, uh, Miley Cyrus, um, former <laughs> former member of the Red Sox um, Certainly not an impressive guy, but somebody who's very durable lefty. They didn't have a lefty in the rotation at the time uh, that they made the move and had a really good start the other day. So while I don't expect huge things from Miley, um, with the offense that they have there, um, I think it's a pretty pretty underrated move. Um, and then Pierce is the super interesting addition here. Um, we, we know what type of an offense that the Orioles have. But they also have two guys in Hyunsu Kim, uh, who's playing left field for them part of the time, and uh, Pedro Alvarez, um, who are just terrible against left-handed pitching. And what Pierce does is he can come in and play both third, uh, left, uh, DH. He can play lots of different positions um, and really just mash against lefties. So I think it makes a good offense better and protects them against any injuries that they may have to that starting lineup as well. Yeah, um, I definitely agree with you about Pierce. He's uh, kind of a perfect fit for them, and that offense is definitely scary. Um, it's a big boomer bust offense still, but um, definitely scary. I'm not as positive. I agree with you about Miley. Um, he's fine. He's just another Orioles starting pitcher. He's just a guy who We'll probably go out most days and throw like five innings and give up uh, four or five runs and call it a day and hope that the lineup carries them, which, I mean, that's gotten them this far, so it's hard to hate on them too much. But um, for everything we were talking about, Toronto's rotation, um, Baltimore's is that much worse, I think. Um, I don't know. I, I should buy into Baltimore at this point. I just don't. And I not sure why. I think it's more of a me problem than a them problem, but I'm just not that scared of them. Well, what about uh, what about Buck? I mean, Buck just continues to make every right move that he needs to. Yeah, that uh, just upsets me. He's so good. He's the anti-Feral. <laughs> well, their their bullpen is pretty ridiculous too. Uh, you got to give him that. Um, but is their bullpen good because everybody in their bullpen is good, or is their bullpen good because? It's immaculately used. Well, probably both. I mean, I think Zach Britton's might be the most underrated reliever in baseball. He's um, sick. He's just he's, so good. He's stupid. Um, yeah. But, I mean, Brack, O'Day, Givens, those guys are all good, too. And 
Bundy when he was part of the bullpen, but now he's starting it. So, I don't know. I mean, the Orioles are probably better than I'm giving him credit for, but I just look at that rotation and just there's not really one guy that truly scares me. So outside of the the uh, the the guys that the Red Sox are going to be contending with, some interesting things did happen to the rest of the division too. Uh, the Rays and Yankees both really depleted their stocks uh, at the major league level as well. Uh, the Yankees sending Miller and Chapman out, uh, as well as Beltran, getting a bunch of prospects back for them. They really did a good job of reloading that farm system. Yeah, they the Yankees killed it this week. Um, it kind of makes me upset, but uh, they. Cashman did a fantastic job. He really did. Um, it was interesting because relievers have been going for such really ridiculous prices, really, um, since I think the Red Sox traded Andrew Miller to the Orioles. I think that is really the start of the reliever insanity, at least that I can remember. Um, and he got every bit of the <laughs> the squeeze of that, that fruit. Um, from from all those guys that he sold. I thought, actually, that he might have gotten a little bit less for Andrew Miller than he could have if he had shopped him to other teams. I think the return was good from the Indians, but that Chapman return for a half a season of Chapman, I thought was maybe his coup de grace. Yeah, um, I'm not going to pretend to be a prospect expert, um, but from what I've read... That Chapman deal was really great for them, um, and I don't know the Miller deal. You're probably right; he might have been able to get more, but um, there's something to be said about just taking the deal when you get it. And I mean, they definitely got a lot of talent back, so um, I don't think they can complain. And getting Dylan Tate, Fair Carlos Beltran, I thought was really interesting. I know that Tate's stock has fallen a lot since being drafted, but um, for a half a year or two months of a D, pretty much a DH only guy who can play some really bad outfield for you if you want to, getting a guy who might have a small chance of turning into a stud like Tate does if he can get back to his old form, um, I thought that was uh, really tremendous. Yeah, that was a huge pickup for them, and especially their their farm system. I think has some pretty strong coaches, and when they do have good talent in there, it does typically uh, develop pretty well. So it's it's interesting. They were able to reload for a bunch of guys that really weren't factors in their their future plans of mediocrity. So and they're they're definitely going to go into the. Uh, sorry, there's a bunch of sirens around me right now. Or yeah, don't worry about <laughs> it. <laughs> um, they're definitely going to go into the relief free agent market this year too. I don't know if they're going to. They're either going to get Chapman back or they're going to get uh, Kenley Jansen or they're going to get Mark Melanson. Um, or, or all of them. Yeah, they're going to do something stupid and just make us forget all of these trades. So, Well, not stupid isn't a bad move. I mean, like they're going to reload this bullpen and get back to something close to where they were. So um, I don't like to heap this much praise on the Yankees, but uh, they did everything they had to this week. They really did. I, I didn't have the confidence that they would be able to bring themselves to be sellers, but I'm sure that their fan base is happy that they did. Um, the Rays also sold off a little bit. They ended up selling uh, Matt Moore, which is just a spectacular thing for the Red Sox because even though Matt Moore has not fulfilled his lofty prospect type since he came into the league, 
Uh, he has been really good against the Red Sox pretty much every time he faces them. So I'm really happy to see him gone. Um, and then they also got rid of Brandon Geyer, uh, who goes to uh, Cleveland, who we'll talk about in just a second. But uh, they're a little bit worse as well going forward. Yeah. Um, they – I don't know what the score is right now, um, but I know they're getting no hit. It's like 10 strikeouts through four innings or something crazy like that tonight so uh yeah that they're gonna be a fun team to play down the stretch um i'm a little surprised that they didn't dangle column a he's been really good this year and with the relief prices i think they could have gotten a lot so i was a little surprised that i didn't see his name in rumors but other than that yeah i thought they did really good in the more deal um i don't really know what they got back for Geyer, but he's a guy that they probably should have traded and it's a good thing they did so not, I'm not as impressed with them as I am the Yankees, but uh, they definitely made themselves an easier opponent the rest of the LA, which is good for the Red Sox. Yep, I did kind of expect that um, Chris Archer was going to get moved to the Dodgers for just a monster package. I kept reading about that happening, and it just seemed to make some sense. But um, you know, maybe the Dodgers just like Jose De Leon and um, Urias that much that they there was just no way that they were going to part part with those guys. Yeah, plus, uh, I didn't really, I don't know, maybe I wasn't paying attention, but I didn't really see them connected to Rich Hill that much until that trade went down. So maybe they got Rich Hill and then decided they didn't want to give up the package for Archer after that. Yeah, certainly could be the case. So anyway, I mean, the the division certainly, I, I think, got a little bit more difficult for the Red Sox, but not so much so that they can't continue to compete with Baltimore and Toronto. Um, the great thing about the Yankees in Tampa Bay, though, um, that I want to point out is that even though we're on this terrible stretch where the Red Sox are going to play tons and tons of road games, um, they do have 20 games remaining versus both the Yankees and the Tampa Bay Rays, who are markedly worse now uh, than they were before. So that is only a good thing. And they also have uh, six games uh, in a row on a West Coast road trip versus the depleted Oakland Athletics and the San Diego Padres, which is certainly a really good thing for them as well. So they're going to have some cupcake teams in here, even though it's on the road. So um, not all is lost for the Red Sox, who are one of the few teams that have a winning record on the road as well at 23 and 21. Yeah, um, I think, I mean, I don't know. I haven't looked at Baltimore and Toronto schedules, but I'm assuming they have a lot of games left against the Yankees and Rays too, so... I'm not sure how big of an advantage that is, but um, it's definitely nice that the Red Sox have some winnable games. They just have to win them because we saw last week that that's not a guarantee. So um, hopefully that they hopefully they can come through. Yep, I hope so. And uh, they're going to need to because outside of the division, um, in the Central and in the West, uh, two teams got markedly better there as well. Um, the Cleveland Indians, as I mentioned before, added Brandon Geyer, but they also added Andrew Miller from the Yankees. Um, really shores up the back of their bullpen um, to go along with really the best starting pitching in the American League, if not the entire league this season. Um, I think their offense is still a little bit on the weaker side for the contending teams, uh, but certainly a capable offense. And I really believe that the psychological effect on a baseball team 
for having a guy like Andrew Miller at the back of your bullpen, a guy who you just know once the ball gets in his hand that that game is over, uh, is huge for a team and really helps teams grind out um, close games. I wanted to get your thoughts on that too. Um, Tidbit. Yeah, I generally agree. Um, I'm not sure Mm -hmm. if that totally fits with the Indians just because uh, I'm a huge Cody Allen fan. Um, so I think that they already had a really good reliever in the back, but, um, I also think that adding Miller is obviously huge that the rest of their bullpen wasn't all that impressive. So, uh, having that two headed monster in the back definitely makes them a lot better. So especially with the rotation that has a lot of guys that can go six, seven, eight innings on a semi-regular basis. Um, yeah, Cleveland's really scary. Um, I think they're probably the second best team in the league, and they definitely helped themselves uh, yeah. helped themselves this week. So we'll 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 talk about the best team. We both agree, and we'll get into our power rankings after this too. But um, the the Texas Rangers really did the most to improve themselves, adding Jonathan Lucroy, um, Carlos Beltran, uh, Jeremy Jeffress. Uh, they get to keep Joey Gallo and Jerickson Profar here. Um, they didn't add the starter that they needed to, but man, uh, that offense is just silly looking right now. Now, when you go down, it looks like Profar, Desmond, Beltran, Beltre, Odor, Lucroy, Moreland, Andrus, and Mazzara. Um, there is not a single place in that lineup, maybe outside of Andrus, that you can look at and be like, okay, this is a guy who I can exploit. That, that lineup is an absolute murderer's row at this point. Yeah, they did really well, and um, assuming they make the playoffs, having Darvish and Hamels at the top of that rotation is really good. Um, their bullpen is Dyson, Jeffress, uh, Diekman, Kella, Bush. That's really impressive. That's um, killer. Three yeah. guys out of those that can throw 100, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. And then they have uh, Alvarez, who they got from Atlanta earlier in the week in that Herald deal, who um, I'm not – Sure is great, but his numbers in a small sample have been great. So, I mean, that's just another guy who they could throw in. Uh, this team is really good. They they went all in this year, and they look like um, they look like the team that should have done it. I think them getting Lucroy kind of gives them a big edge over Cleveland, especially since they kind of stole them. Mm-hmm. So, I'm not really sure where the hole is in the steel, except for the back end of the rotation, but. That's everybody, and they have two guys at the top that are really good. So I don't really think there's an argument for anybody else in the American League being better than this team. What are your thoughts on that back end in the rotation, though? I mean, with Cole Hamels, I have no, you know, no questions about. He's he's the real deal in every possible way. You Darvish, I do worry about his durability a little bit, but he has looked great since he came back. But if you have to face any of A.J. Griffin, Martin Perez, or Lucas Harrell in a uh, playoff series, are you going to be you know, concerned about those guys at all? Um, so not really, but um, I will be concerned about their lineup, and I will be concerned that their starting pitcher is only going to have to throw like four innings and then they <laughs> can just start rolling out their relievers. So, yeah. I mean, this is a good team, and... Harrell is probably going to move to the bullpen in the playoffs, and his stuff might play up a little bit in those shorter stints. So, right. Um, this, I mean, when the Red Sox are pitching Game Three, Game Four, they'll have Priscello or Pomerantz or Wright, and who knows how they'll be looking. So, um, 
I think that everybody's back end is kind of worrisome. And so the Rangers don't really have any other holes and they have a better one, two punch than probably anybody else in the league outside of Cleveland. So, um, I think you nailed it with Darvish's durability. If he gets hurt, a lot changes, but as long as he's healthy, this team is, uh, pretty stacked. So let's talk about predictions for the rest of the year for the American League East. Uh, I want to get your power rankings first, then I'll give mine, and then we'll talk about who we think is actually going to make it into the playoff race here. So uh, what do you got? For the league or the division? Uh, for the American League. The whole league? Uh, so I got Texas 1, Cleveland 2, probably Toronto 3, and then... I think it's really close between the Red Sox and Houston for four and five. And then I have Detroit and Baltimore in that next tier. Um, I think it is a pretty clear top two. And then I probably have Baltimore at the bottom, but I could see other people disagree. Um, I think there's a lot of orders you could put them in, but um, gun to my head, I probably go Texas, Cleveland, Toronto, Boston, Houston, uh, Detroit, Baltimore, I think. I don't think I forgot anybody. So for me, um, very similar. I have it Texas, Toronto, Cleveland, Red Sox, uh, Baltimore, who I believe in a little bit more than you do, um, Houston, and then Detroit. And, uh, I really do like Detroit. We talked about that a little bit off the air. Uh, still a really dangerous team, but I just don't think that they can match what Cleveland's doing right now. Um I just like Toronto a little bit more than um, a lot of people do because I love the lineup. I think the lineup is very dangerous, and I think that they can really hit good pitching. I think that that lineup um, can be exploited by good pitching a little bit less than a lineup like the Baltimore Orioles can. I think they might be a little bit of a better lineup for the regular season than they are the playoffs. Um and then with Toronto, I think it has been a little bit underrated how their rotation has performed so far. Um, Estrada's been really good. J.A. Happ's been really good. Um, Dickey can pitch well or terrible at any given time. Um, and Marcus Stroman, uh, I think, is just such a better talent than he's shown so far. Um, and the, the bullpen's been pretty solid for those guys as well, especially with uh, Sanchez moving to the pen. So... That's why they get the nod over Cleveland for me. I totally see that side of it as well. Um, I think that was probably the closest call for me. But we both agree here, and it might be a little troubling, that um, Toronto's probably the better bet to make the playoffs as of today than the Red Sox are. Yeah, um, I think they're... I, I definitely do, but I, the more I think about it, I'm not so sure why i think their offense is better than the red sox but i don't think it's a huge disparity yeah i don't think um, so either i think it kind of comes down to how you feel or how you think that the red sox rotation after price is going to perform because if pomerantz gets back to how he's looking in san diego and Wright looks like he looked in the first half and parcello keeps doing what he's doing then i think the red sox are probably better but I'm not totally sold that that's going to happen. I think Toronto's a little bit of a safer bet. And I know we talked about how much their rotation gets worse when Sanchez leaves, but at the same time, him and Osuna in the back of that bullpen is a pretty dynamite combination. So Toronto just has a lot of good things going for them. I think it's a little 
closer than you, maybe, between them and the Red Sox, but um, I would probably give the Blue Jays the edge right now. Yeah, I just think there's a little bit less variance, and you you put it in a good way. There's just, uh, I feel a little bit safer with what you're going to get out of Toronto. I think all things clicking, um, Red Sox offense is better than Toronto. I think it's probably the best in the league. Um, but just really so far, we haven't seen the pitching uh, perform up to expectations, and we've seen a little bit of the reverse with Toronto. I think their starting pitching has overperformed what anybody thought they could. So, um, Stroman looks really good tonight too. Does he? Yeah, he's got a. I think he's got like four and two thirds shutout innings against the Astros right now. So, and if he gets going, I mean that's a that's a yeah, whole that's different scary. story. Yeah. Um. So, as it goes today, if I was predicting playoff teams, I'd predict Toronto to win the East, the Red Sox to make it uh, as the first wild card, Baltimore to make it as the second wild card. Uh, and then I would have Cleveland and Texas winning their respective divisions and making the playoffs. Uh, who would you have making it in? Um, so we are almost fully in agreement. Uh, the only difference I would have is Houston uh, getting that other wild card instead of Baltimore. Um, I think Houston's – I know their pitching isn't that great either, but their bullpen's really good. And if Gurriel can come up and make an impact and Bregman – can make an impact. I know he hasn't been that great uh, to start off his major league career, but obviously it's a tiny sample. Um, getting those two guys is just as good as making two big trades. So um, I really like this Astros team. I know they got off to a bit of a rough start, but um, I think they have the talent to make that other wild card against the Red Sox. Yeah, you're absolutely right. They've got the talent to do it. Um... They have a lot of good pieces, and I love that that bullpen that they have there with Will Harris, Gregerson, Giles, Sip, Neshek. I think that that's a really good bullpen. Joe Musgrove's been really interesting too. Um, and they have guys in that rotation that have potential. I mean, Keiko hasn't pitched as well as last year, but in any one game he could do pretty great things, and um, that lineup's pretty awesome. So I definitely agree with you there. Um, but... Uh, I'm just I can't bet against Buck Showalter, man. I've just seen it too much firsthand. So gonna go with the the Orioles, but um, either way, it's gonna be close. Really interesting. We both agree that the Red Sox are gonna be a playoff team despite this ridiculous uh, end to the season. Uh, a few more notes for the Red Sox before we get off. Um, Craig Campbell has been activated for tonight's game, so that's a huge push for the bullpen as well. We did mention that earlier, but just wanted to point that out explicitly that it's just a really quick turnaround for that injury and just glad it didn't take as long as uh, six weeks like they were saying it could. Um, Red Sox upcoming schedule um, on the road for the rest of the week. Uh, I believe it's an 11-game road set that they're going to finish up here. Um, they've got uh, at Seattle and at L.A., uh, Dodgers, um, Erod's going against Paxton, uh, Price versus LeBlanc, Porcello versus Iwakuma, Pomerantz versus who knows what they're going to put in there for Wade Miley. Um, got Wright versus potentially Rich Hill, uh, Eduardo Rodriguez versus Bud Norris, and then Price versus McCarthy. So, um some pretty interesting matchups in there. Any any of those really stand out to you that you're going to be tuning into specifically? Um, I think tonight's a really interesting matchup. Um, I think Paxton's a really interesting guy. I hope 
but the Red Sox should be able to jump all over that. Um, really, the Red Sox need to do well uh, this week. Just not even for them, just for my sanity, just for selfish reasons. I just want them to do well. I'm kind of sick of the sad-assing all around by Red Sox fans. So, um, unfortunately, all these games are at 10 o'clock, and that doesn't really fit well with my schedule, so I'll be watching a lot of the condensed games on MLB TV. But um, I think the matchups lay out in a way that the Red Sox can definitely take advantage of this set. Um, they avoid Felix Hernandez, who looked really good in his last outing. Um, obviously, Clayton Kershaw is still hurt. Who knows if they'll have to face Rich Hill. So uh, they kind of have to take advantage of these breaks. Um, I know the West Coast trip is always hard, but um, it's laying out well for them to finish up, and they need to take advantage. Yeah, and they're coming off losing seven of their last ten games, including their first sweep of the year against the Tigers. So uh, they really need to do well. They can't be splitting series against teams like – uh, the Minnesota Twins and the Anaheim Angels if they're going to make the playoffs here. So we're we're in agreement there. Um, as far as uh, the podcast goes, um, you can find us on Twitter. Uh, you can su- subscribe to us there. You can rate and review us as well. Um, and you can do the same thing on Stitcher. Um, we do have a listener uh, question submission box as well that will appear uh, on BP Boston, you go under podcasts, you click on any of the episodes, and there's a Google submission form. Uh, you can type in a question, ask uh, me and the uh, guys on the show um, your question, and we'll go ahead and answer it on the show. Uh, we haven't gotten any questions there yet. I think people are kind of still discovering it. It's only been up for about a week now, but um, definitely go there and ask us any questions about the socks, and we'll do our best to answer those as well. Um, and, uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at devjake, and you can find Matt, uh, at Red Sox thoughts, Red Sox underscore thoughts, uh, on the Twitter. So, uh, anything else before we head off? Uh, just, I can't wait for the Red Sox to get back on the East Coast and stop playing these games at 10 o'clock at night. Yeah, it'll be a lot better for our sleep schedules and, uh, hopefully for their win-loss record. So, yeah, it'll be good to get back on the East Coast, but hopefully with a few wins. All right, well, thanks for joining us, guys, and we'll see you next week.